Hi, everyone. I'm constitutional attorney Catherine Henry, and this is the 11th week of Restore Freedom Weekly. Today, we have quite a hot topic to cover. So before I jump right on into the meat of this discussion, which sometimes I have a tendency to do, I want to make sure I am taking the appropriate time to cover all those other uh, segments of the show that hopefully you have come to uh, know and enjoy. So uh, again, for those of you just tuning in, uh, I'm constitutional attorney Catherine Henry, and this is the 11th week of uh, our Restore Freedom Weekly episodes, and today is going to be quite an informative session. So um, the first thing I want to do is, uh, and I didn't even grab one of these, so I'm going to do something unusual and grab something. So I'll be right back. So today's uh, item of the week is uh, the Restore Freedom. Oh, it's not going to show because I have my background blurred. The Restore Freedom uh, 5 by 5 window decals. Great to put up on your uh, on your house, on your front door, if you have a window on your door or uh, windows of your house in general or at your office. I've had a lot of people put them up on the front door uh, of their office if it's a, you know, a big glass door uh, or on your car windows. People put these on their car windows and uh, there's a QR code uh, at the top here. So if somebody is uh, out and about and they see your vehicle with this, they can scan the QR code with their phone and it'll take them right to the website, uh, a truncated version of the website, very simplistic, so they could see the main pages and get to know, well, what is Restore Freedom? All this decal says is Restore Freedom, more freedom, less government, and our website. So the hope is to uh, encourage or intrigue someone to uh, want to check us out and see what the Restore Freedom Movement is all about, uh, which we can't do without the help of people just like you to spread the word. Um, these uh, only cost $6.75, and that includes shipping. And um, we look forward to having you partner with us in that way. Last week, of course, we had great success in being able to share the pocket constitutions. Uh, that was our item of the week, and we've had a lot of orders. Uh, so we look forward to partnering with you and spreading the word about the Constitution and about freedom uh, by sharing these um, window decals. Again, all of our stuff, none of this is money-making opportunities for me and by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, on many of these orders, I end up losing money because the post office keeps uh, jacking up the price on me when I go to mail these orders out. But uh, it's just at cost or less uh, is what we're charging you for each of these items. So we look forward uh, to you um, partnering with us and, and getting the word out in that way. And uh, at the beginning of, of the main discussion of any of these episodes, I do like to start with God's word because I look for what is my mission? What is my purpose? And for many years, I, um, you know, I grew up as a Christian or in a Christian home, I guess you could say, but I didn't grow up with the opportunity to go to church every Sunday to learn about God or about Jesus or um, about anything about the gospel, any, any of it at all, quite frankly. And um, I, it, I've had to play a lot of catch up and figure out things that uh, my peers, many of my peers, were learning all along. And so as an adult, as I go through this journey, um, 
one of the things that when my uh, faith was really in the beginning stages and I was just beginning to understand some things and read and, and get caught up, um, I was already a professional. I had already gone through high school and college and law school on my own. And I was a single mom and I knew I wanted to help people. That was my main goal. And I, I've known I always wanted to be an attorney since kindergarten, but I didn't know in what capacity I would best be able to help people. And um, good morning to those of you watching and, and commenting on our Facebook feed. Um, so this is, uh, it's been a culmination of different things, but once I finally started learning more about uh, God and the blessings he gave to us and how he created us and uh, a, a variety of those different aspects. Um, I, I don't know. My goal is to best serve him. So not just to help people, but what mission does God specifically have me on? Hi, Rachel. Hi, Lori. Hi, Jane. Uh, what mission does God have me on? And uh, it's to educate people like you on the truth, on the Constitution, uh, on his word for how we need to fight back and restore our freedom, our freedom that's been taken away from us uh, for decades and decades, but uh, out in the open now being taken um so openly and blatantly from us in the last two years by governments, large and small, state, federal, local, uh, every single branch of the government. So uh, I think it's important that we ground our work in fighting for freedom in God's word. And what does he have to say about this such of a hot topic here? Well, uh <laughs> Normally, I, I try to stick with one, maybe a couple um, biblical resources, if you will, but uh, not so much on this week. Colossians 3.20, while God instructs our children not only to obey their parents and everything, the obey their parents and everything, uh, he's, he's telling children, obey your parents and everything. That's That's from Colossians. So while God not only instructs our, our children to obey us as parents in everything, he specifically calls them to listen to their father's instruction and to not forsake their mother's teaching. Father's instruction and mother's teaching. Those air quotes won't, weren't meant to be sarcastic, but uh, to demonstrate those are actually word for word, at least out of the NIV. So children are not only supposed to obey their parents and everything, but specifically take heed to their father's instruction and their mother's teaching. But even more than that, God is not only allowing us, but wanting us as parents to teach our children, to tell our children the important messages and where do I come up with that? Well, quite frankly, all over. But some of the, the main ones or easier ones to identify would be Deuteronomy 
4, verses 9 and 10, Deuteronomy 6, verse 20 and 21, Deuteronomy 11, verse 19, Deuteronomy 32, verse 46, Psalm 78, and that's going to be in verse 4 and 5 and 6, Exodus 10, verse 2, Joel 1, 3, Isaiah 38, verse 19. And so if you're just tuning in and wondering why I'm rattling off this list of Bible verses, it's to demonstrate the point that God not only allows, but is calling us, instructing us, wanting us as parents to teach our own children. He's not calling us to leave it up to somebody else. He's calling us to do that. So, um, with that being said, before I get too much into uh, this topic, um, let me see here. Got to move my screen over just a little bit so I can see if any comments might be pulled over from uh, Rumble by Lori. But um, thank you, Charlene, for joining us. And, um, Hmm. Hmm. Teresa is commenting on the, uh, the NIV version. I'll have to kind of dig more into that thought uh, later. Um, but uh, looks like we don't have any questions on Rumble yet. So uh, with all that being said, before I jump into this very important topic, uh, I want to, you know, it, the whole the whole topic, if you're just joining us, is the idea of parental rights. And we're specifically framing this conversation in the context of <clears throat> a uh, short Saturday Night Live segment, which, of course, I didn't see live, <laughs> but uh, my husband found out about it and told me about it, and I uh, sent me the link. And, uh, of course, they're um, trashing a, a very recent bill that was passed in Florida uh, just a week ago today. And um, so at any rate, it's um, it's been called by mainstream media and uh, the likes of Saturday Night Live hosts, the do not say gay bill, but it is more commonly known in Florida as the parental rights bill. So with parental rights being the main topic that's involved today, before we get into all the substance of what the bill actually says and what it doesn't, and what the uh, implications are from our states and federal constitutions, I do want to give you those resources. Normally, I give you three, but couldn't help myself other than to give you four this week. One, the very first one, is a brand new resource uh, that some of my very good friends are involved with starting uh, or helping to organize uh, in some way. And um, that organization is Michigan Impact. So the website should be in the description of our video. Lori and I were tag teaming a little bit on the setup today, so I didn't uh, see it for myself, but uh, Lori's pretty awesome and I'm pretty sure that's in there. Uh, some of the details of all this setup, I didn't necessarily remember to ask her before we went live here, but michiganimpact.com is the name Oh, and Lori's confirming, yes, she got that in. So uh, michiganimpact.com is the 
uh, website for Michigan Impact, and uh, the it's a it's a great parental rights, uh, freedom fighting grassroots organization just starting uh, as a basically a collaboration of of different organizations and people and ideas. Um, starting with the Ottawa Impact success that has been seen over on the west side of the state, uh, and then those other groups and individuals, parents all over the state of Michigan that have been fighting for freedom. So that is the first uh, resource. The second one is the Michigan Homeschool Building. Its name is The Homeschool Building. Uh, they've, I think, fairly recently changed their website so that it's mihsb.org. It is actually a, um, a building that is over in, um, I don't think it's Granville, might be Granville. Wyoming. I think it's probably Wyoming, but anyway, the greater Grand Rapids area. And I actually started using them as a resource when I still lived in Belding, which was over an hour away, but um, I homeschooled two of our kids and uh, one who's now 18 and one who is now eight. But it's a wonderful place. I didn't utilize because at the time uh, of teaching my older child with homeschooling, um, the resources were just simply too far away for me, but they have actual classes for those of you who live in, in the area. Uh, they have different kinds of um, offerings, um, music and art and, and all kinds of other things. Um, you can join sports through them uh, for, for your children. Uh, that kind of thing. What I always use the homeschool building for was their wonderful bookstores and their semi-annual or annual sales uh, where parents uh, that are related to the school in some way will come and sell their materials at a very discounted price. So, um, but they have more of a used bookstore, which has an insane amount of materials. And then they have the, uh, the newer bookstore um, that has just anything that you really could need. And then the staff there are wonderful. So if they have, uh, if there's something you're looking for, even if you don't know exactly what you're looking for, but you can describe the kind of idea that you have, if they don't have it in store, they were always more than uh, willing to help me locate something, uh, a resource online or a resource to another organization or group or, you know, individual that would be willing to get me going in the right direction. Um, they also do, I think it's monthly, uh, regular classes on basically introduction to homeschooling. And as part of that, they will introduce you to another resource, which is my third resource for you today, uh, the um, Homeschool Legal Defense Association, hslda.org. And uh, I couldn't say it any better than how they've described it. So bear with me as I just read to you their own words. They, uh, with over 100,000 member families across the nation, Homeschool Legal Defense Association is the nation's largest, most trusted homeschool advocacy organization. They are there to advance and protect your freedom to homeschool. And uh, they offer, if you look on their main website, they offer legal defense in court when there's different situations that arise legislative advocacy in your state and, of course, national legislatures, uh, educational support and strength in the community. So uh, that is the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. Uh, and let's see. Um, the last one I wanted to share with you is actually one that I don't know 
uh, personally at all. I don't have any particular um, experience in dealing with them, but I had heard about them briefly from somebody else and uh, did a quick search to see if I could find their website. And it is a group called Parental Rights of Florida. And their website is parentalrightsfl.org. And all of those resources are again in the description of the video today. So you'll be able to check that out. Um, so they say, again, their words are going to describe this much better than I could, especially since this group I don't have any background with. Uh, but they uh, say that we are an advancing grassroots movement of Florida's citizen parents. Citizen parents. We believe that parents have the fundamental right to direct the upbringing, education, and care of their children. We acknowledge that the family is the heart of our state and nation. When the fundamental rights of parents are respected and families are valued, the result is strengthened communities. We are calling for and working with Florida legislators to pass common sense laws that respect the fundamental rights of parents. And keep in mind, people often think, especially conservatives, especially conservative activists, often think, oh, passing another law? Oh, you're just going to be more trampling upon our freedom. Now, generally speaking, yes, passing a law often means placing restrictions upon the people in the exercise of their God-given liberties. But sometimes those laws are actually being passed to make specific restrictions upon how the government is uh, providing a particular uh, service or um, you know, offering of some kind, such as public education. So in this context, passing a law that's based on common sense that protects the, the fundamental rights of parents uh, is actually tied to what they were doing with this bill that we will be covering today. Uh, last on the resources, this group that I last told you about, the Parental Rights of Florida, they say that they are affiliated with parentalrights.org and parentalrightsfoundation.org. I did not get a, ch a chance to thoroughly check out either of those two organizations, but uh, sounds like uh, for our topic of the day, those two nationwide organizations would be good for you to check out, especially if you are not in Florida or in Michigan and potentially can't uh, get a whole lot of use out of those resources for those two states that I mentioned. But again, the Homeschool Legal Defense Association is a nationwide organization that can help you in any state. And there are links uh, to resources in each state regarding homeschooling and other parental rights regarding education. So what is the way to get involved? Well, uh, Shoot. Um, let me see here. Let me see if I can post this. Um, okay. So I am posting two comments uh, or two links in a comment. And that is, if you're watching us on Twitter, I don't believe it's going to go there. But if you're seeing us on Facebook or Rumble, hopefully it's it's going there. If not, hopefully Lori's got my back and she's going to copy and paste this. But these two links, one is to the actual language of the bill and uh, in, in the history and, you know, the, the whole thing at FloridaSenate.gov. Uh, it started as a House bill, I believe, and then was moved over to the Senate side. So that is the Senate link. Um, and then the second video is actually to the um, Saturday Night Live skit that got me 
wondering about and engaging in this topic um, myself. So um, the uh, I guess it kind of shows how not disinterested necessarily, but uh, unplugged we can be sometimes from what's happening, even in our own states. I now live in Florida. I actually grew up going to public schools in Florida, preschool, elementary school, middle school. I started high school down here before I moved back up north. And I uh, had no clue that this do not say gay bill, as mainstream media is calling it, that they um, that it was passed or what was happening with it until my husband caught it on Saturday Night Live um, of all places. So it's it's just an example of how disconnected sometimes we can be from what's going on in our government. So. Um, all right. The. Um, so what is the way to get involved? What is my get involved challenge for the week? Well, normally uh, this is something I'd probably like to share with you at the end, but I'm probably going to share it with you now and at the end. And it is a critical thinking exercise. Now, a lot of you are going to roll your eyes or you're going to huff and go, oh, well, I already think critically about all of these topics. I don't need someone to tell me to do that. But I'm going to ask you to do it in a very specific, simple way, uh, just a couple of steps, so that we can see if we're coming to the same conclusions. So what I'm asking you to do is to read the underlined portions of Florida House Bill 1557 that was just passed uh, this month. So the underlined portions, you'll see, you can click on the document in that link I sent, the first one in that's a comment in here. Uh, you can see the actual language of what the whole bill looks like. The regular text is stuff that's just there. It's It always was there um, or it was there uh, added or changed in some way in some prior uh, bill. But um, the only things that are being changed are you'll see some underlining where you have new text being added or uh, strike through where you have old text being removed. So uh, that is a, how a lot of legislators, a lot, a lot of legislatures will um, present their bills to uh, the public so that you can see what language is being changed by each bill. So read those underlined portions of Florida House Bill 1557 yourself. It's it's not very long at all. Um, the entire bill, including, um, what is it here? Two and a half pages of it is the description, uh, basically the title of that statute that is not being changed at all. So of the seven pages here, two and a half don't even count right off the bat. Um, and there's only... I'm not sure if you guys will be able to see because of my blurred background, but um, there's these parts that are uh, underlined on the um, the first page of where the actual text is. Uh, this page is all underlined. This page. So, so far we got less than two and a half pages, uh, very hugely spaced uh, and, and large spaced out font. Um, this page, so I think, I think three and a half. So we're talking about four total pages of actual text that is double spaced um, with the largest font that I would ever possibly use. 
in a professional setting whatsoever. Uh, so it's not very much. So please read all those underlined portions, those new portions, the, the language um, actually being added to the law by this particular bill. Then watch that Saturday Night Live skit in the other link that I sent you. Watch the whole thing and identify what they correctly identified about the bill and what they got wrong. So that's kind of a generalized statement, but what did they get right? What did they, you know, correctly say or indicate or joke about that the bill does? Um, oftentimes in things like that on mainstream media or with comedians in general or Saturday Night Live skits, they're talking about things or making jokes about things that have actually happened, but they're making fun in a way that it's... Um, it's not discrediting the truth. It's just showing the funny side of it, uh, whether we agree with, with them that it's funny or not. But sometimes they take the facts of a particular hot topic or recent event, and then they skew those facts uh, to then build some humor on top of that. So what did they actually get right about what's in the bill and what did they get wrong? And, and so beside the actual text of the bill and what it does, uh, today our thing that we're doing here today is actually to go over the the justifications, the the reasons, the rights implicated by um, all involved uh, in a constitutional sense as it relates to this bill. So, um, all right, without any further ado, we are going to jump right on in to the um, oh, and I want to say uh, thank you to um, the comment we have on uh, Rumble. Oh, we have a second one. Um, thank you for both of you that are commenting uh, there on Rumble. I appreciate your kind words. Um, all right. So <clears throat> this main topic, for those of you who haven't read it, uh, the main things in my Purposes for purposes of today's discussion and for purposes of how uh, mainstream media is treating this bill, uh, there's really eight main things that are being done by this bill. Okay. The first on page three of the bill uh, is a requirement that the school district or school um, employees uh, that they notify a student's parent, if there is a change in the student's services or monitoring related to the student's mental, emotional, or physical health or well-being. So let me say that again. The school with this bill now is required to notify a parent if their child has a change in the students in, in their services being offered to them or uh, monitoring related to that student's mental, emotional, physical health, or well-being. And uh, the, the, excuse me, school districts are also required to put in pl place uh, procedures that must reinforce the fundamental right of parents to make decisions regarding the upbringing and control of their children. How do they do this? Well, this is going to be the third element uh, that's done or involved by the statute. School personnel 
is required to encourage a student to discuss issues relating to his or her well-being with his or her parent or to even facilitate the discussion of the issue with the parent. So school personnel have to encourage the child to go ahead and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with their parent if there's something serious going on or the school personnel uh, individual has to even facilitate a discussion, especially if it's a younger child uh, and you know, there may be some trouble with getting the child to focus or uh, remember all the pieces that would be relevant to have in a discussion with their mom or dad. Um, the school uh, employee may need to facilitate that discussion. So the fourth piece, these procedures that the school districts are now required to put in place, which again are based on element number two, the fundamental right of parents to make decisions regarding the upbringing and control of their children. These procedures may not prohibit parents from accessing any of their students' education and health records created, maintained, or used by the school. So it's making sure that there is full access for parents with regard to records for their own children. Because unfortunately, I mean, it may seem like common sense to you, or maybe you thought parents always had the right of access to their child's documents. They should, but this is after one of those duh moments, like what are some of you districts doing? Well, apparently they've been withholding uh, access to their, you know, for parents to access their own children's uh, school records and health information that is used by the school. Uh, the fifth element of what this bill does, I'm on page four. In the middle of that page, if you happen to have it already printed or pulled up and you would like to follow along, school district personnel may not discourage or prohibit parental notification of or involvement in critical decisions affecting a student's mental, emotional, or physical health or well-being. So, Break down again, it's something simple, but just to run it by you again, school district personnel, so school employees, I'm just going to call it that, school employees may not discourage or prohibit, even discourage, they can't even discourage parental notification of significant things in their child's life uh, relating to their mental, emotional, or physical health or well-being. And the a school employee or school personnel cannot prohibit or even discourage parental involvement in issues affecting a student's mental, emotional, or physical health or well-being. Might seem overwhelming. Uh, might seem like an obvious thing that should already be, you know, a thing. But basically, some school districts, especially in some more liberal areas or with liberal school boards, um, they have decided that they know better than the parents and that they spend all these days with the children. And so uh, when it comes to not 
the academic side of education, but simply uh, the child's emotional uh, or mental well-being, that they will uh, make decisions for the children or encourage the children to act one way or another, that they will keep parents out of some of these uh, important decision-making processes that are happening, uh, essentially cutting parents out of the development of their own children. All the while, those very people are often the ones that say, oh, parents don't even get involved. They don't come to parent-teacher conferences. They're not involved enough to have a steady parent-teacher association, a PTA or PTO. Um, they're, you know, they don't put on, you know, parties or um, events for the kids as, as a group of involved parents. Uh, they don't come and support their students or, you know, their children at athletic functions or other school things. Uh, they don't work on their homework with them. They expect us to raise their children. Typically speaking, this is just typical. I'm not saying every single uh, school employee is like this, but generally speaking, the people that are cutting out parents from some of those big, important uh, decisions about their student or their child's uh, emotional or mental well-being and health while they're at school, uh, those are some of the very comments that those people are saying. So it's a double-edged sword. Well, we're going to cut these parents out of these decisions, but these parents aren't involved enough. Uh, okay. So you want them involved, but you're going to do get them more involved by cutting them out of these major life decisions. Good to know. Um, but at any rate, before we get too much into the discussion, that's what's, I'm just telling you what's in the bill. Uh, and that was number five. The sixth thing, it takes all the way down to the bottom of page four of seven in this bill to get to even remotely touching on whatever the Saturday Night Live skit was trying to um, illustrate. So, Classroom instruction by school personnel or even third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through grade three. <laughs> I, I'm just going to let that sink in for a minute. I'm really surprised I don't have any comments at this point. So this bill literally says classroom instruction you can't have at school, at a, at a public school, you cannot have your child age kindergarten through third grade being taught either by school personnel or by some third party organization coming in. Uh, you can't have them being taught about sexual orientation or gender identity kindergarten through third grade. I'm sorry, but there's no better way to say this than, duh, why would it be appropriate to have anyone in a school setting talking to these little people about gender identity or sexual orientation? Now, this is not this is not even really the conservative stance, right? I'm not saying uh, 
that you can't, and this bill is not saying you can't have a discussion with these children um, about being gay, right? The do not say gay bill is what they're calling it. Uh, but you could go ahead and have conversations with them about, um, you know, what heterosexual relationships are all about and what they look like and, you know, what the nuclear family is supposed to look like, etc. Sorry, it is getting really warm in here. So bear with me, I have to turn the fan on. Okay. So, um, it, the whole, the whole, all of it is included. You cannot in this bill, you cannot have conversations with little children, kindergarten through third grade on any sexual orientation. We're talking about four, five, six, seven, eight, maybe nine-year-old children. My youngest daughter is eight. Why would someone think it would be appropriate, let alone necessary, to teach her, if she were in a public school setting, about sexual orientation? She's still understanding who she is as a, what does it mean to be a human being? That's what we should be teaching them. Kindergarten through third grade, and if you are a kindergarten through third grade teacher, uh, you know this, and I used to work in a school kindergarten through uh, fourth grade and uh, had a lot of friends that were the teachers. And if you were teaching those younger ages, you're teaching them, uh, along with the academics, you're unnecessarily having to teach them or at least reinforce teachings that are done at home about what it is to be a human being. How do you control your body physically when you're in a classroom, when you're sitting at your desk, when you're walking to your specials classes like art and music and, and things of that nature. Uh, how do you act in the hallway? How do you act in a bathroom? How do you act in the in the cafeteria? Uh, what's okay behavior to, to show or utilize at recess? Being kind, just the general thought of being kind. You're not even getting into the the um, specifics of anything because these little people are so little and they have so much to learn that they are just understanding what it means to be a human being and how to, you know, not smack another child, uh, how to smile or offer a hug if a friend is sad. Uh, how to sit quietly and respectfully when the adult in the room is talking. Those are the kinds of things that kindergarten through third grade, they are learning and reinforcing. Uh, those are the main social, social socialization aspects of learning that should be happening at schools. Um, why on earth is it necessary to talk about any sexual orientation? Why would that be appropriate? Let alone, why is it appropriate to talk about gender identity? We are still, at that age, trying to figure out who we are as a person, let alone what it means to be a boy or a girl. You're just trying to figure out who you are as a person. And quite frankly, that's what you're really trying to do uh, all through your, you know, secondary and uh, your primary and secondary grades. Uh, so anyway, I mean, 
I need to get into the constitutional aspects of this because that's what I do. But that's why this is a topic that is just explosive. There is just so much involved. Now, uh, I see that uh, D commented on Facebook, uh, sexual identity or gender studies should not be taught in any at, at any grade level. Now, this is my own personal opinion that I'm about to share with you right now. I agree with D. When I read this bill, <laughs> I looked up how many Republican representatives and senators in Florida actually voted for this thing because I was disgusted. Not disgusted for the same reasons that those on Saturday Night Live are disgusted or that those in mainstream media are disgusted. No, uh, I was disgusted because, uh, let's see here, a week ago today, the Florida Senate passed this bill with 22 yeas and 17 nays. 22 yeas. What does that mean? Well, in the context of things, Florida has 24 Republican senators, state senators. Okay. And out of 120 representatives, um, state reps, 78 of them are Republican. And let me see here. Um, out of the 78 Republican state reps in Florida, 69 of them voted in favor of this bill. Now, there are good parts, as you know, some of what I've seen about what DeSantis talks about highlights the good parts. But as D points out, um, and Jane also on Facebook, what they're pointing out is why is this discussion happening at any level by our school system? We're not talking about the birds and the bees and how that works and what a menstrual cycle is and what puberty is. That stuff is helpful to know. That stuff is important to know. Uh, the concepts of sexual orientation and gender identity, I didn't learn that in public school. And I went to public school uh, all the way up until law school. So uh, being fully in public school in Florida and uh, then in Minnesota, uh, I was in Orlando and then Altamont Springs uh, public school systems down here in Florida. I was in St. Paul, uh, inner city St. Paul um, public school systems in Minnesota. And um, that those were not topics we covered in the school at, at all. Does that mean I'm necessarily going to... Um, hate people of a different sexual orientation or make fun of people with a uh, that are identifying as a different gender than what they are biologically uh, assigned or given at birth? No, it doesn't mean I'm hateful of anyone or even that I don't uh, know what they're going through. But the public school setting is there to educate students in a way that can help them be best prepared to be functioning adults in society. And we'll get on uh, that topic in a little bit more. So anyway, I better reserve some of my comments for later on in the discussion because I'm already using up chunks of my time without even touching the Constitution. So uh, we're going to go ahead and roll right on in 
to that. Um, so my 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 goal in pointing out how many Republicans voted for this, I'm not sure I would have voted for this because I don't like the limit being placed on third grade. Now, there is a continuation of the sentence that says uh, the topics of sexual orientation or gender identity. Sorry, guys, I have to turn on the fan behind me, too. And this room is getting super warm. Let's see. Um, the, um, the general topics of sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through third grade or in a manner that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate, um, for students in accordance with state standards. So in theory, that last part of the section or that last part of the sentence is saying that, you know, yeah, you can start to have these conversations about gender identity and sexual orientation with children that are in fourth grade and above, but it still has to be age and developmentally appropriate. I have a huge concern uh, at, when it comes to the government deciding what's age and developmentally appropriate when it comes to those two topics. But again, uh, that's something that we could talk about in just a minute. So I did say to you that there were eight parts of this bill. So to finish out the last two, um, on page five of this bill, at the beginning of the school year, each school district shall notify parents of each healthcare service offered at their student's school and the option to withhold consent or decline any specific service. That's huge. Each school, every year, the school has to go to the parent and say, hey, we are offering, so for example, uh, Wyoming Public Schools has a lot of students in need. I'm talking about Wyoming Public Schools in the greater Grand Rapids, Michigan area. So they have um, a lot of students with needs. Um, some students may not have access to dental care um, or even, you know, having any kind of dental insurance. They might have, uh, they might need some other kinds of screenings and that kind of thing. I'm not saying having all those things um, offered to students is necessarily a bad thing. But what this bill in Florida says is that if you're going to offer like a Cherry Street dental clinic type of situation where the students get to go in and potentially have free dental cleanings, um, you know, fillings uh, being, um, you know, get their fillings done or have other simple, you know, tooth procedures done right in the school when our dentist comes and brings the dental chair right into the school. Um, and, you know, has students come in throughout the day over a period of like a week or something, or uh, where I, an eye doctor may come into the school and do testing and then even provide um, eyewear, you know, glasses to students who might need them. Um, the uh, those are just two examples, two small examples. Many of you can think of many more things that are now being done in the schools without any uh, knowledge uh, of this being shared with it to any of the parents, let alone getting their permission to utilize those services. What this bill in Florida says is that every single year, the school has to tell each parent about each and every one of these. Um, healthcare services that will be offered and allow that parent the option to withhold consent or decline any particular service being offered whatsoever and tell them how they go ahead to, you know, utilize that process of withholding their consent or declining. 
that seems like an obvious. So you're telling the parent about it. Now, let's say you have a truly neglectful parent who never gets their child's teeth cleaned. They never get their child's eyes checked. Uh, maybe the child um, is very nearsighted and can't see very well in a classroom, and yet the parent won't take them in to get glasses. Or, um, you know, it's a single parent, overwhelmed, has four or five kids at home, always running around. Maybe she's working two or three jobs for whatever reason. The other parent died. The other parent's in jail. She's just, you know, was never married. Whatever the case is, right? You have a single mom busting her butt. I was a single mom for eight years. I busted my butt. When I was going to law school, I worked three jobs and went to law school full time. It was exhausting. I didn't have a lot of extra resources or time to do anything. But if you have, because of those kinds of things, you have a truly neglectful parent. You have a child whose needs are not being met and that parent is being neglectful of those needs. Well, if you send them home notification, hey, we have these services being offered. If you would like to um, decline, here is how you could do it. If they're neglectful, they're probably not going to decline services that are being offered for free by the school or by some other entity at the school. So those neglect concerns are not being um, diminished by having this language in the bill. Um, and Jane points out um, too, and I didn't, I honestly, I don't recall when I was reading this bill, which one it says. Um, they're, they're talking about the concept of opting in versus opting out. I would agree you want to be able to opt into these um, additional services, healthcare services at a school, uh, rather than having to opt out of those things. I just don't recall um, with the language of the bill, if there actually is a specific um, uh, requirement either way on this. Um, but again, I already said to you guys, this bill is not perfect. So uh, it's, uh, but the concept that yes, you can offer services, you can offer healthcare services at a school, but every single year you have to make sure with the parent that it is okay for each of these services to be provided for their particular child or children. That's a concept that we all need to um, acknowledge and accept because you can't just force upon any individual, any unwanted uh, medical treatment or medical care in any way. That's abuse. School's not allowed to abuse children. Uh, so number eight of this bill, last piece of the bill. Oh my gosh, almost an hour in and I'm just now telling you the last piece that is uh, covered in this bill. Before administering a student well-being questionnaire or health screening form to a student in kindergarten through grade three. The school district must provide the questionnaire or health screening form to the parent and obtain the permission of the parent. Well, that should be an obvious, but unfortunately with uh, all the crazy COVID restrictions that we were seeing uh, being implemented since 2020, a lot of states or local school districts or, you know, different um, governmental entities have been implementing the use, the mandatory use of these health screening forms. Why in the heck would it be appropriate to even have a fourth grade student or fifth grade or sixth grade or any of the stu any student under the age of 18? Why would it be appropriate to have them fill out a health screening form? Again, 
at those younger ages, kids are still learning the difference between a truth and a lie, what they saw on television versus what they've experienced in their own lives. So you expect them to fill out a form? And mind you, these government forms, these health screening forms, why on earth are they screening for a child's health? The only thing that it used to be pre-COVID was health screening forms that the parents would be filling out uh, to see if there were any particular needs so that if you were going to utilize one of those healthcare resources being offered through or at the school, um, maybe if you say, hey, I know my student, my child has a hard time seeing, I would really like to make sure their eyes do get tested. And I, I would request that if you have any financial assistance and being able to uh, offer us glasses at little to no cost, that would be a huge help to our family and to my child and, and his or her education. Uh, that's what the health screening forms in the olden days looked like. And that seems appropriate. It's offering parents the opportunity to, to share their concerns or their requests for help with, uh, and pairing that with specific offerings that are being you know, provided through the school. Okay, great. But to have a health screening form that these days means contact tracing. What have you been doing? Where have you been? Who have you been uh, visiting with? Where have you gone? That is none of the school's business. So a fourth grade student shouldn't be offered that either. But quite frankly, the, the school should not be administering these, these forms to anyone kindergarten through third grade, regardless of parental consent. If you want a parent to fill out the form, have the parent fill out the form. You don't have a kindergartner go through a health care screening. Now, for those of you who might be super liberals and you're jumping up and down going, well, but there could be all kinds of abuse and we want to make sure that if the child's being abused, they have a place that they can disclose that and they can receive the, you know, the care that they need or the help or protection that they need. Let's be very clear about something. If a, if a, if a school personnel member, if a teacher, if a, uh, you know, somebody working on the playground, if a school bus driver, uh, any, a crossing guard, if any of these people that have regular contact with children thinks, has real reason to believe that a child is being abused, I'm pretty sure all 50 states have a mandatory reporting law. So if you work with children and you think that child is actually being abused, you must report that to CPS or whatever your agency is in your state that um, is for the protection of children. And that whole system is screwed up. Don't even get me started. I've been an attorney working in that system for a long time and it's bad, but there is already a system in place for that. We don't need to utilize this kind of healthcare screening or student well-being form. We don't need these to be administered to students to be able to try to screen for child abuse or anything else like that. There is a process in place for protecting children from actual abuse. And I'm going to remind anybody who might be trying to jump on that, we need to protect kids from abuse train when it comes to this bill. I have served as a lawyer guardian ad litem for children. I have served in Minnesota in two different roles as a guardian ad litem for children in abuse and neglect cases. 
as a lawyer for children in abuse and neglect cases. Uh, I have served in Michigan as a lawyer guardian ad litem for children in abuse and neglect cases, advocating for that particular child's needs in their in their situation, in their lives. I have served as a special education mediator, a uh, an IEP facilitator in the schools when a parent files some sort of a complaint against the school in relation to special education services that are being offered or denied. Um, I, um, I have served as a divorce attorney, uh, focusing on issues with custody and parenting time for many years in two different states. Um, I have uh, done public defender work. Uh, in one state, I was a public defender. Um, in my public defender role, I specifically was doing a lot of juvenile delinquencies. I handled all juvenile delinquencies in uh, the entire two counties that I had. Uh, in um, the another state, I was a public defender where um, in one of my particular counties or two of them, I would have uh, from time to time juvenile uh, delinquencies on my caseload um, where I would represent the child. And as a public defender in um, two different states, I had been assigned cases to represent a parent being uh, charged with misdemeanor child abuse. And in one state, I was able to do that. Um, I was already a mom and I was able to do that. But in the other state, by the time a whole bunch of things had happened in my life, um, you know, and by then I had four kids and a whole lot of other world experience uh, under my belt. I actually had to go to the judge who was assigning cases and tell him I couldn't take those cases. I, I certainly couldn't take the, the one in particular that was before me on a given day because the parent was charged with um, misdemeanor abuse of a child, physical abuse of a child. And the circumstances of that case, I knew I couldn't provide the kind of representation that that parent deserved because uh, everyone is deserving of due process of law. And as a public defender, if I was assigned, that parent would not have gotten uh, adequate representation because my heartstrings were being pulled in the direction towards uh, making sure the child was protected. And um, I'm always about uncovering the truth. But um, uh, in some cases, it was um, it was still hard for me to get over some of the allegations initially uh, and be able to fully zealously advocate for a parent in those cases because I have a heart for children. Um, I've been a mediator. I'm trained as a mediator in child protection cases, uh, in um, all those other cases that I've mentioned. I mean, I could go on and on. I can't even remember all the different ways and roles. Um, in uh, Minnesota, I actually wrote legislation uh, regarding children and families and lobbied for that legislation in the following year. Uh, with the Minnesota legislature. Uh, there's a, just a ton of stuff that I bring in, as, you know, my my personal and my professional experience. And <clears throat> quite a bit of it is in advocating for and protecting children. So it's with that in mind that I'm saying this is not the avenue to try to prevent child abuse or neglect. This is not the avenue to try to um, you know, give children information that can somehow later on help their emotional or mental well-being. It's not appropriate. 
I'm one of the strongest children's advocates you could possibly encounter in a courtroom. Uh, and I'm a mama of four. <laughs> and no, it's not appropriate. This would not be appropriate. So this bill does not go far enough is what I'm saying. But um, man, I need to, at any rate, so that is, uh, those are the eight main parts of action items, if you will, of segments, uh, individually important uh, segments of this bill, Florida um, House Bill 1557 uh, from last week. So, man, now I'm going to speed through the constitutional segments here. All right. So for those of you who are still uh, hanging on with us, I'm going to take a brief sip here. All right, we're, we're going to start with, and I'm going to try to speed through this, guys. So I apologize if it's too fast, but there is a lot of information involved. And I guarantee you, if you've heard me speak about any of our rights before, you've heard all these provisions at one time or another from me. But, uh, and we will do a post later in the week reemphasizing these, um, these constitutional provisions. So the U.S. preamble, um, I'm taking out the irrelevant portions, mind you, uh, but we the people, in order to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, are establishing the U.S. Constitution. Michigan preamble, we the people of the state of Michigan, grateful to almighty God for the blessings of freedom and earnestly desiring to secure these blessings undiminished to ourselves and our posterity, do hereby and establish this Constitution preamble in Florida, which is relevant, especially in the context of this nationwide attention on this Florida House bill. The Florida Constitution starts with we the people of the state of Flo we the people of the state of Florida being grateful to Almighty God for our constitutional liberty in order to secure its benefits do hereby and establish this uh, hereby ordain and establish this constitution. Okay, so we have God-given liberties. It says so in our U.S., Michigan, and Florida constitutions. Again, those are the three I focus on every week. The U.S., Michigan, and Florida constitutions. Blessings of liberty, blessings of freedom that we are grateful for. We're securing those blessings of liberty and freedom. That's what it says in the U.S., Michigan, and Florida constitutions. Article 4, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution says that we are guaranteed a Republican form of government where we elect representatives, government representatives, to do governmental types of functions, right? But we, the people, retain ultimate control and authority. That is what a Republican form of government is, which is guaranteed to us in Article 4, Section 4 of our U.S. Constitution. Okay, so what about the Tenth Amendment? A lot of people talk about states' rights. A lot of libertarians focus on it, and a lot of conservatives focus on states' rights. But you're focusing on the wrong part, people, because the sentence doesn't end with to the states, period. It continues, and it comes after the Ninth Amendment. But let's get to the Tenth Amendment first. The powers, the powers not delegated to the federal government or the state government are reserved for the people. 
Of course, the actual wording uh, says that the power is not delegated, you know, essentially to the federal government through the Constitution or not prohibited to it uh, by it to the states are reserved to the states or to the people. Okay, to the states or to the people. But the Constitution does restrict powers or um, uh, deny powers to the states. And it also uh, restricts or denies powers uh, to uh, the federal government. Okay. But look at the word delegated and reserved. So the start of the sentence, the powers not delegated. That is what a representative form of government, a republic, is about. It's a delegation of power, not a, a total relinquishing of power. And where is the power coming from? Well, you can see the, that throughout the sentence, it then talks about that those powers being reserved to the people. The people are the source of the ultimate control and authority. It's a Republican form of government guaranteed to us, Article 4, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution. And the Tenth Amendment reiterates that it's only those powers that are delegated to the federal government that the federal government gets to utilize. And it's only those powers that are delegated to the states or not denied to it, um, restricted uh, to the states by the Constitution uh, that the states get to utilize, but it doesn't say the states alone. It says, or to the people, because the people are the ultimate catch-all. Any powers not specifically delegated to the state or federal governments are reserved to the people, not created for. It's not Those powers are not created for the people. The people have ultimate control and authority of the government, period. That's, that's it. That's the truth. That is the form of government we have. That is the ultimate underlying function of government that we have. We, the people, are the government. So, uh, this is reiterated in the Michigan Constitution, Article 1, Section 1, right off the bat. All political power is inherent in the people. Article 1, Section 1 of the Florida State Constitution, all political power is inherent in the people. There's actually a very interesting tie uh, between um, power and rights. Uh, actually, the full portion of Article 1, Section 1 in the Florida State Constitution is, is talking about power and then talking about rights. Power, all political power is inherent in the people, not just given to them. It's inherent in the people. And then it continues by saying the enunciation herein of certain rights for the people shall not be construed to deny or impair others retained by the people. Power, rights, all of it, it's all inherent in the people. God gave us that. This constitution and the government doesn't give us any authority to act. It actually is the source of government to act that we, the people, put in place. And if the government is not given a specific power to act in the constitution, then the government does not have the authority to do that. 
And we don't have to point to a specific part in the Constitution to exercise any particular given liberty because we have retained all of the liberty given to us by God, all of that freedom. So the Florida Constitution, Article 1, Section 2 continues and then talks about basic rights. In fact, it then says inalienable rights. The people have inalienable rights, among which are the right to enjoy and defend life and liberty and to pursue happiness. We have the right in the state of Florida under the state constitution to specifically enjoy and defend both life and liberty. U.S. Constitution Ninth Amendment. The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. So again, U.S. Constitution, Ninth Amendment, Michigan Constitution, Article 1, Section 23, those say the exact same thing that the second part of Article 1, Section 1 of the Florida State Constitution say. Just because we list certain rights that the people have, that does not mean that all of our other God-given liberties don't exist. I can't say this point enough because it is exceedingly essential to understand that we have all of our God-given liberties, even if our government hasn't specifically been called to recognize a particular one in a certain way. Um, all right, so um, the fourth, excuse me, the, the fifth and 14th amendments of the U.S. Constitution, of course, protect us from being deprived of our life or liberty without due process of law. Uh, the Michigan Constitution, Article 1, Section 17, and the Florida Constitution, Article 1, Section 9, do the same thing. They both uh, prevent the government from depriving anyone of their liberty without full due process of law. Well, why are we talking about that? Well, deprivation of liberty. What are those liberties? Well, we have religious liberties. Um, of course, U.S. Constitution, First Amendment, Congress shall make no law establishing, uh, excuse me, pro prohibiting the free exercise of religion. Um, the Michigan Constitution, Article 1, Section 4, every person shall be at liberty to worship God according to the dictates of his own conscience. And um, Michigan Constitution, Article 8, Section 1, also mentions uh, religion. But on the notion of particular religious liberty, I want to point out those two pieces. Of course, uh, the Florida Constitution also has a religious liberty aspect. So, okay, religious liberty. Well, I don't know. Religious liberty to be not, if you're a student, if you're a sixth grade student sitting in a public education setting, and you hold strong to your religious convictions and you believe that marriage is for uh, one man and one woman, or uh, you are a parent of a uh, seven-year-old child and you firmly believe that marriage is between one man and one woman. And while you are not hateful of those who are of a different sexual orientation, you don't believe it's appropriate to have your young child being taught 
about something that you uh, deem to be, according to your sincerely held religious beliefs, to be a sin. Why would your why would your child need to be taught specifically about a sin? The only reason why we teach about certain sins or certain bad behavior is to teach children not to do those things. So we were teaching uh, in schools when I went to school and they were teaching about, you know, sex ed. The main point, um, the only real point that came about in the, the sex ed classes, aside from, you know, the birds and the bees and the how all this happens was the best way to prevent an unwanted pregnancy or STD is to practice abstinence. That was actually taught back then in public schools. Uh, and so the concept of uh talking about those concepts was to say not here's all your choices please um you know participate in any of these as you see fit and we'll give you all kinds of information on the fun you can have with these different types of of uh things no it was here is what this is and this is what can happen so the best way that you can avoid these uh um bad outcomes is if you don't engage in this at all. What about alcohol abuse, drug abuse, DARE programs, things like that? We educate children on what uh, drug abuse is about or alcohol abuse or, you know, smoking or anything like that. We educate children on those kinds of things to teach them not to use those drugs or alcohol or cigarettes, right? So that's a totally different story from educating them on, and I'm going to say educating because on gender identity and sexual orientation. Well, the schools obviously aren't teaching them to not be gay, but they don't need to be teaching them about being gay in general or being, uh, you know, um, of a different gender identity than what you are assigned at birth. There's no reason to do that. There's no reason that they need to allow or encourage any kind of hateful behavior to students who um, are identifying as uh, being a gay or lesbian student or transgender or whatever. But um, the hate that is the label given to uh, basically to conservatives uh, in, on these topics, it's not hate if you simply don't want that in your own life or to be having that discussion pushed upon you or your children, especially at inappropriate ages. So, um, okay. There's so much to say. I'm sorry, guys. There's a lot going on here. So uh, your religious convictions obviously uh, can be implemented or excuse me, um, not implemented, um, involved uh, by the topic of what this bill is covering. So I'm just trying to get my my place here. Um, okay. Now, what's interesting is that... Um, so Florida too, in Article 1, Section 3, there's uh, an intersection of both the practice of religious freedom as well as the acknowledgement of public morals. The practice of religious freedom and the acknowledgement of public morals. Well, if you look at the Michigan Constitution, Article 8, Section 1, 
it's the whole section on education and it starts with this religion religion it starts with religion literally the word religion is the first word in the section on education in michigan so the michigan constitution again article 8 section 1 starts with the word religion religion morality and knowledge being necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind schools and the means of education shall forever be encouraged okay that doesn't say uh any kind of particular education is going to be mandated uh, upon any student at any age level, but it is definitely acknowledging religion and morality and, of course, knowledge are all necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind. Think of how huge of a statement that is, and that is written into the very language of the Michigan Constitution. Okay, so this is a Florida um, a Florida bill we're talking about, but again, I'm just giving you examples of um, um, sorry, catching uh, some of the comments. Uh, this is just giving you some some examples of how different states um, have different concepts in this, the very constitution for their state. So another important concept we need to think about is the general privacy against unwarranted government intrusion. Where do we find that? Well, the most common place that people think of or look to would be um, the Fourth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which in Michigan is Article 1, Section 11, Florida, Article 1, Section 12, and that is the privacy against unwarranted government intrusion generally. Now, in Florida, and again, that's where House Bill 1557 is, is in Florida, there is another section in Article 1, Section 23, the right of privacy. Every natural person has the right to be let alone and free from governmental intrusion into the person's private life. It's interesting. Uh, so there is a specific right of privacy in addition to the general rights of privacy against governmental intrusion. Uh, <clears throat> hmm. Well, there's some other concepts in here, and I'm not quite sure that I want to um, to go over these or not. But some people talk about uh, this is a necessary part of of you know the general welfare or well-being of students or society as a whole. We'll kind of get to that in a minute. Um, and uh, for those of you who are interested in looking at the whole public education. Um, or education um, segment of the uh, Florida State Constitution. That is, uh, it starts in Article 9, Section 1. And uh, there's a lot to, to read there. So I'm not going to go through all of that, but I'll, I'm going to tell you some, some highlights. Um, also, uh, before I, I kind of jump to a different uh, way of viewing this topic, um, Article in the Florida Constitution, Article 10, Section 22. It's entitled Parental Notification of Termination of a Minor's Pregnancy. 
Now, the language in there is not as strong as it should be, and there's a lot of problems with it that really put too much power in the hands of government officials in different branches, quite frankly. But you get the concept, parental notification of termination of a, of a minor's pregnancy. So parental notification, parental involvement, parental consent, the fundamental right to parent your own children is written in various forms throughout the Florida State Constitution, quite frankly, in a lot of aspects of the U.S. Constitution as well, but specifically uh, in no uncertain terms in both the Michigan and Florida State Constitutions. Uh, and so last note in general on this topic, before I, I take a different tact at this topic, is I want you to look at Michigan um, Statute 380.10. So MCL 380.10. And um, a colleague of mine was involved with the actual drafting of this uh, language of this bill um, initially. But this law reads, it is the natural fundamental right of parents and legal guardians to determine and direct the care teaching and education of their children. The public schools of this state serve the needs of the pupils by cooperating with the pupils' parents and legal guardians to develop the pupils' intellectual capabilities and vocational skills in a safe and positive environment. But how does that start? It doesn't start with talking about any kind of fundamental rights that a school district has or that your teacher has or even that the state has. The government, no government entity has any rights. They certainly don't have any fundamental rights. But we as individuals and certainly we as parents, we do have fundamental rights and they are acknowledged time and time again in the law, in the constitutions. And it's about damn time that these government officials and mainstream media start paying attention to these God-given fundamental liberties that cannot simply be ignored or stripped away. All kinds of fun and games. So with that being said, um, man, I have so much to say. I have no idea how I would possibly... Well, I'm going to do my best to wrap this up in less than eight minutes, okay? If we're looking at, at uh, the don't say gay bill, as mainstream media calls it, parental rights bill in educational setting, as uh, a lot of the other people call it, we're, we're looking at those concepts. Why don't we look at what do our constitutions say uh, about the main topics involved, right? So children, the word child or children, how many times is that word in the U.S. Constitution? Zero. So there's no authority or power given to the government with regard to children. Uh, Michigan Constitution, how many times is the word child or children in the Michigan Constitution? Um, well, in Article 1, Section 25, it talks about the term in defining marriage because actually in the Michigan and uh, sneak peek at the Florida State and Michigan State Constitutions, both of them uh, specifically 
itemize or recognize or describe that marriage is a union between one man and one woman. That's in the Florida and Michigan state constitutions. But at any rate, I bring that up because that is in, in the context of defining marriage, it mentions the word child or children. Uh, Michigan State Constitution, Article 4, Section 6. It only comes up in terms of talking about the qualifications for serving on the Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission, basically to avoid nepotism. Um, sorry, give me one second. I have Lori uh, jumping in to help give me some good guidance on, on this. Um, I think I understand what she's saying. I'm probably going to totally get this wrong and uh, be doing the opposite of what her advice is on here. But I'm going to, to finish going through some of this. And then um, as there might be specific comments, questions, concerns on the elements that I might seem like I'm flying through, we could do follow-up videos on that. On quite frankly, any of the platforms that we're on, if there's enough interest, we'll do follow-up videos and it could be the question and answer session on this topic. Um, but those are the only types uh, times that children are mentioned or child is mentioned in the Michigan Constitution. So no, uh, no power or authority is given to the government, specifically just with regard to that term. Florida State Constitution, um, Article 1, Section 15 talks about crimes committed by children. Article 2, Section 8 talks about public officials abusing their position to benefit themselves or the family members. Um, not at all the topic of what we're talking about here. Um, Article 10, Section 4, um, homestead exemptions, nothing uh, we're talking about here. Article 10, Section 20, workplaces uh, that are preventing um, uh, tobacco smoke or vapor, um, nothing related to this topic. Article 10, Section 31, death benefits for survivors of first responders or military members, not relevant to what we're talking about. Uh, Article 9, Section 1, um, that uh, beginning of the, the, the section or article, excuse me, on education uh, is the education of children is a fundamental value of the people of the state of Florida. It is therefore a paramount duty of the state to make adequate provision for the education of all children residing within its borders. And then it talks about also offering um, a, a free system uh, of public schools. Um, but notice in there, it doesn't have mandates upon going to these schools. It doesn't have anything of an offering of a providing for uh, education for children. So there's nothing there that uh, gives the government power or authority with regard to teaching our children about these topics anyway. Parent. Well, maybe it's in the context of the government stepping in the role as a parent or denying the parent the ability to, to uh, refuse education for their children on these topics of gender identity or sexual uh, expression. Uh, parent is not mentioned in the U.S. Constitution at all, so no authority to the given, given to the government there. Uh, it is mentioned in Article 4, Section 6 of the Michigan State Constitution, but that's only talking about uh, disqualifications for serving on the Independent Redistricting uh, Commission. 
the, the Florida Constitution uh, mentions the word parent in Article 1, Section 16, talking about the rights of crime victims, not at all related to this topic. Article 7, Section 4, talking about property taxes. We did talk about Article 10, Section 22, which is parental notification uh, for a minor's termination of their pregnancy. Uh, Article 10, Section 29. Uh, is, um, again, talking about parental uh, notification and consent is required in order for minors to be allowed any kind of medical marijuana. Um, so it's the only times we're talking about parent are hammering home that concept of parental rights, parental consent, parental notifications. Um, what about teach? You know, the government's role is to teach our students that some that some people say that. Right. Well, where does that thought come from? The words teach or taught taught is not in any of these three constitutions. The word teach is definitely not in the U.S. Constitution. The word teach is in the Michigan Constitution in two concepts. One, uh, Article 11, Section 6, talking about a merit-based system of employment that actually specifically excludes teachers. Um, and Article 1, Section um, Four, that no person shall be com compelled to financially support a minister or teacher of religion. Um, again, it's it's a religious freedom thing. It's it's actually not. If you're reading the context there, it's not actually talking about um, teaching uh, in in the context of what we're talking about here. Florida State Constitution. The term teacher is only brought up in three main contexts. One, Article Nine, Section One, talking about the maximum number of students in a classroom. Not relevant to what we're talking about here. And Article Nine, Sections Seven and Eight are talking about a state university system and a state college system. Not relevant to what we're talking about here, but this because the state university and college systems are primarily for um, students who are over the age of majority. Um, so, what about the concept of learning? Is the term "learn" or "learning" or anything like that in the U.S. Constitution? No. So the government has no power or authority over our learning or our children's learning. What about the Michigan State Constitution? Nope. It's not there either. What about the Florida State Constitution? Well, the concept or excuse me, the term of learn or learning, it does come up in um, Article 7, Section 15, but that's it's talking about revenue bonds for schools. Um, Section nine, uh, excuse me, Article nine, Section eight is just in that state college systems um, provision. Uh, Article um, 12, Section nine is financing public schools. Again, not relevant to what we're talking about here. Um, Article nine, Section one is uh, it talks about offering free early education programs, but there's no authority in there at all uh, to do anything related to um, teaching children anything about sexual identity or uh, gender identity. And uh, Article uh, 9, Section 1, uh, we talked about this before, but it says that there must be adequate, adequate provision shall be provided by law for a uniform, efficient, safe, secure, and high-quality system of free public schools that allows students to obtain a high-quality education and for the establishment, maintenance, and operation of institutions of higher learning and other public education programs that the needs of the people may require. Um, so 
there's nothing in there that specifically allows the government to go intruding into personal affairs and talking about sexual identity or gender identity. Not at all. Um, what about the word school? That is nowhere in the U.S. Constitution. What about in the state constitutions? Well, both state constitutions have uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven in the Michigan and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight uh, provisions that are just about taxes and funding. So that has nothing to do with what we're really talking about here with um, what's happening in our schools. And uh, there's that merit-based system for local government employees where the word school is used in the Michigan Constitution, nothing to do with what we're talking about. Um, Article 1, Section 26 actually prevents any kind of government entity from discrimination, from employing the use of discrimination, uh, and that includes in um, operating a, a public school, um, but not anything about what we're talking about here. Article 7, Section 32 is about adopting annual budgets of the Michigan State Constitution. So the two relevant portions that mention the word school in the Michigan Constitution are Article 8, Section 1 and Section 2. Article, section, article 8, Section 1, we already talked about, religion, morality, and knowledge are necessary for good government and uh, the happiness of mankind. Um, and then it also says the legislature must maintain and support a public school district, uh, public school system, and school districts may not discriminate on the basis of religion, race, or national origin. So um, not, if anything, that uh, that might bolster the topic of what we're talking about with religious freedom, but it's definitely not something that enables a school district or school employee or volunteer in the school public school system to talk about uh, these topics with our children. Uh, the Florida State Constitution um, has how many times does the topic or excuse me, the term school or schooling or anything of that nature come up? Article 1, Section 24, in just in, in the context of accessing public uh, records and meetings, um, it in Section um, 2 of Article, excuse me, Article 2, Section 8, um, starting December 31st of this year, a new portion will go into to effect, but um, it's just relating uh, to the defining of what a public officer is. It doesn't change anything in regards to our topic today. Also, those eight places where it's talking about taxes, it mentions the word schools uh, I mentioned earlier, um, the timing of different constitutional changes or bonds being implemented, uh, that comes up in Article 12, Sections 5, 6, and 8. So the word school is used there, but doesn't have any impact on us. And then if you want to scour the Florida State Constitution, you can look at um, Article 9, Section 1, Section 4, Section 5, 6, and 7. That's where the word school is used in those different sections. The whole topic, that whole article is about education, but nowhere in there does the word school is that word used to somehow provide the government with any kind of authority or power to be teaching our children anything about sexual orientation or gender identity. Uh, welfare. Okay, this is uh, a topic. Um, we have, uh, well, I'm gonna come back to that because that's a little bit uh, more interesting. Education. The term education is nowhere in the U.S. Constitution. So again, no government authority to act based on that. In fact, our whole U.S. Department of Education 
not actually constitutional, but that's a topic for a different day. Uh, Article 1, Section 26 um, in Michigan uh, mentions the word education, but doesn't provide any kind of context for what we're talking about here. Article 4, Section 6, it's the disqualifications for serving on the independent uh, Citizens Redistricting Commission. Article 4, Section 53, governing boards of higher uh, institutions of higher education, not relevant here. Article 5, Section 2, uh, identifying principal departments of the executive branch, not providing any kind of specific authority um, for the government to act in relation to what we're talking about here. Article 8, Section 3, 4, 6, and 7, those uh, sections specifically use the word education. And um, they are they provide nothing uh, for context for the ability for a government official uh, or a school employee to talk about any of these topics with our students. Um, Article 8, Section 8 is just talking about services for disabled individuals, so not relevant here. Um, and one, two, three, four, um, four sections in Article 9 of the Michigan State Constitution mention the word education, but it's actually just talking about the topic of taxes, tax apportionment, tax uh, revenues, that kind of thing. Not relevant to what we're talking about here. Article 11, Section 5 is um, the word education is brought up in the definition of classified uh, state civil service, just different types of state employees, not um, in the section where it's providing anything about authority of the state to do any of these things. Uh, and the article termed schedule in sections nine and 10 of the Michigan State Constitution, the topic or the, the word education does come up, but uh, it's just talking about in terms of uh, the different terms of board members of, of different kinds. Um, but article eight, sections one and section two do have that word education, but we've talked about those two um, two sections and they do not provide any kind of authority for the government to act in any way in this regard. Um, now the Florida State Constitution has a section that's talking about appropriations bills uh, in Article 3, not relevant. Um, the um, Florida State Constitution mentions the word education in a couple places in Article 7. Uh, those are talking about tax exemptions and revenue bonds though, not relevant here. Article 10 um, the Florida State Constitution mentions the word education, but it's talking about lotteries and state um, slot machine revenues, tobacco education and prevention um, being provided and paid for by these uh, lottery revenues and things of that nature, um, defining um, the definitions in the medical marijuana sec section uh, and death benefits for survivors of uh, first responders and military uh, members. That's in um, Article 10 of the Florida State Constitution, not relevant here. Um, and the schedule of implementation for different parts of the Constitution and, and rolling from one Constitution to another um, from way back when, um, Article 12, Sections 4, 6, and 9, you can look there. The word education is also in there and it provides no authority for the government to act in any way with regard to this. Uh, so the last place that you can find the word education in the Florida State Constitution is in Article 9, Sections 1, 2, 4, 6, 7, and 8. And if you read all of those sections, not a single darn one says, hey, government, hey, school, uh, hey, teacher in a public school setting, you are more than welcome. You have the authority and the power to be educating our youth 
on sexual identity and gender, gender identity. Nowhere in there does it provide that. I'm just telling you every single place where those words are even mentioned, and it doesn't mention the powers there. So the last place that people often uh, fall back to is that whole providing for the general welfare, right? Where in the U.S. Constitution uh, does the word welfare come up? Well, in the preamble, talking about promoting the general welfare, um, nothing there would seem to suggest, let alone specifically um, provide for any kind of government authority with regard to this topic because of the word welfare being used. Um, in Article 1, Section 8 of our U.S. Constitution, the word, word welfare is in there, but it's talking about providing for or paying for the common defense or general welfare has nothing to do with sexual uh, education in schools. None whatsoever. No authority given there. Um, the term welfare uh, is in the Michigan State Constitution, Article 4, Section 50, in the context of regulating atomic energy. Nothing to talk about in this context. Uh, in Article 4, Section 52, protecting natural resources. Not relevant here. Um, and the general welfare and public health of the people of the state of Michigan is important, um, but it's a primary public concern, in fact. But the legislature is only called to um, make suitable laws regarding public health. Um, and they must be suitable. Uh, the Florida State Constitution, the word welfare only appears once in the entire Florida State Constitution. And it's actually in the context of victim welfare and setting bonds in criminal cases. So that is the rundown of where in the Constitution any of these words, any of these terms are even discussed. Where on earth does the authority or power for the government to act for the schools, for the teachers, for school districts to make any of these decisions, to implement any kind of education to our children beyond third grade of sexual identity, gender identity, that's not a thing. They don't have the authority to do it in the first place. So that is why I said to you at the beginning of this that uh, this bill does not go nearly far enough because it almost implies uh, that the government is allowed to do this past third grade. And it's not. So it is a much longer episode than what I wanted. I was afraid of this because of all the information being jam-packed into this. I will try to break it down into small, slightly more digestible segments on um, probably on our TikTok channel. Uh, channel and uh, those may be then reposted later on to to our rumble um, or possibly facebook pages but um, i hope that you've been able to uh, gather a lot of useful knowledge and information about this very heated and current topic before us today and um, i hope you do uh, remember my challenge to you to get involved this week and it is to go ahead and read the actual language of this bill uh, and um, look at the underlining, uh, underlined portions, those pieces that are actually being changed by House Bill 1557. And then listen to that three or four minute skit from uh, Saturday Night Live. Both of those links being provided to you today in the comments section of this um, video and determining what information 
although they're trying to be funny about it, what information are they actually getting right about what this bill even does? And what have they totally gone left field uh, in trying to convey about this bill, uh, let alone the reasoning for any of it? So uh, with that being said, I do appreciate you joining us today. Uh, and uh, we will continue to do our smaller segments later on. I've actually reserved our True or False Tuesday uh, question of the week uh, for after this episode, so we will be posting that shortly. And uh, as always, we thank you for your support and look forward to seeing you at our future episodes. Have a great day, everyone.